to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. Today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets. Your clients (laughs) can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, it's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to Planable, P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E.io to start your free trial today. All right. This week's influencer guest is Dean Agent. He is a client executive at Gaggle Amp, the first employee, the first employee advocacy software uh, provider to the market back in 2010. Wow. Since 2015, he's helped brands all across different industries reach their social media marketing potential. Dean specializes in guiding enterprise uh, organizations towards successful employee advocacy programs in order to increase their social media reach, improve their social media KPIs, and encourage employees to be more active on social. When he's away from his desk, Dean likes to surf, skateboard, and explore new areas throughout Boston and the rest of the country on his bike. Dean, welcome. Thank you. Good. You're, I always remember I was I was saying I think we were on the air early for this, but I was calling you my. We were talking about generations, and I called called you my millennial uh, alter ego. So I'm living vicariously uh, through you as well. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And it was funny. I met you originally when you were at Social Media Strategy Summit here in Chicago, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the first time. Right. So, and then got to meet Glenn. And then next thing I know, you guys uh, graced me with helping to close out your conference, uh, which was a cool conference, by the way. And actually, that's when um, we were doing the rooftop party. And you said, um, I have to go early because I'm going to the Red Sox game. And I was like, you know, I'm a baseball freak. So I was like, Red Sox game. I passed the stadium and I go, how far is it? He goes, oh, it's a quick ride. And so I got right on my phone and I go, and, and I, and well, I think I, I said, you got any extra tickets? You go, no, I'm going with somebody or whatever. And I go, all right, I'm going to figure this out. So I shouted, who wants to go to the Red Sox game? And these two ladies, uh, bless their hearts. They were just like, they were like, I want to go. So I was like, okay, we're going to go. And I just punched it in, bought tickets. And I sat in right field in Fenway, literally um, for like $30 a ticket. You definitely got cheaper tickets than I did that day. For <laughs> those last-minute tickets, always come through with the lowest prices, and you usually get some pretty good seats out of them too. Well, I yeah, and it's last minute, right? You know, so that that worked out totally cool. But then, have you ever been to Chicago at Wrigley? I've not actually. So when you get here, we're going to do that experience because here's the deal. When I walked in, I'm I'm a super nostalgic guy, so of course I've seen every movie that Red Sox, you know that that Fenway has been in. So when I'm Literally, I walked in. 
it was almost like I felt like chills, like I was walking into history. And and you are, you know what I mean? And and I'll tell you what, I'm walking around, I'm looking, and I'm just like in awe of the entire stadium. And and I just like got I'm getting chills just talking about it. So I walk in and you know, you can tell I'm trying to figure out how to sit because those seats are a little bit crazy. <laughs> comes with the old <laughs> it's almost like the streets of boston the people that design the streets of boston design the seats in the stadium in, yeah <laughs> and and literally you literally get close to everybody that's around your section you know yeah. so anyway he's like um uh you know uh so anyway this guy who looks like he's been there since the beginning of time i think his name was jerry <laughs> he was my andy frayne and 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 he's and i saw his badge and i'm like jerry where do i sit he goes hold on young man and he's looking he goes, he goes, C32. He goes, I got him coming in right now. Make room. And so he's like announcing me to the row, gets me to my seat. And he goes, and you need a beverage? He's like orienting me to the ballpark. And I was like, wow, this is the ultimate onboarding for, 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 the ballpark. <laughs> for a ballpark. I go, oh my gosh. I was just like, uh, I, I got a blog about that. Cause that was like, um, that, that was like, uh, that was that was just an amazing experience. But so I'm a, I'm a big love fan. Fenway. One of our uh, he's a friend of the company. Like a few of our my coworkers are friends with this guy, and he's uh, he's one of the food sales salesmen there at the game. So our friend Kevin throws me a very long pass with a bag of peanuts one day when I was at the park, and I came back to work, and um the mutual friends here were like, "Dude, Kevin's kind of mad. He didn't." shout him out about the toss. And I was like, what do you mean? I definitely did. Like, you know, I saw him after and, you know, thanked him and gave him the tip. And he's like, no, no, that was like the longest toss he's had at his career of working at Fenway. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was like blessed with the long pass that apparently kind of made his career. <laughs> and, uh, and like, and like Wrigley, when I walked out, there's some bars out there. Right. And, uh, and so I wound up at a line dancing bar. And I never thought I would walk out of Fenway and go directly into, of all bars, a line dancing bar. And it was jumping, man. Huh? Must have been Loretta's. Yes, Loretta's. Oh, my gosh. And you know what was cool? I'm going to tell you, you millennials have the line dancing thing down. Because I don't know, you know, you know, Cotton Eye, was it Cotton Eye Joe? I know the song. I don't think I'd ever done it. But they made me come out there and they taught it to me now. You know, I had a couple of, in me at the time, but it was like, but it was the the most fun evening uh, out of a ballpark I think I've had in a while, at least visiting ballpark. So, yeah, I definitely had a couple of conversations with Lauren and Stephanie, uh, who who you went with after that. They were like, "Oh, we loved it so much! It was the greatest idea." <laughs> Count on me for spontaneous adventures, right? Yep. Um, so listen, so you, um, you're a board lover, right? So, uh, and we did, we were talking a little bit about snowboarding and skateboarding. True. Yep. Yeah. So I was a big skateboarder, but never a snowboarder. I was curious in the audience who does the snowboarding thing. I, I love skiing. Um, so, uh, I have to, uh, I have to uh, sort of solve an argument with a client here in Utah, uh, where, uh, we were all sitting around after a healthcare conference and there was, you know, doctors and all kinds of folks sitting around, but there was, uh, some, some boarders and some skiers and the skiers were saying that the boarders sort of mess up the hill. Is that true? Or is that just, well, I don't know, teach their own, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not a fan of moguls. So when the skiers get to push these big mounds of snow up on the hill, I'd say that ruins the hill for a snowboarder, but yeah, right. I don't know, teach their own. I, 
So do you, so just real quick, so I'm educated. So is there ideal surfaces then for boarding? Is it fresh, uh, you know, unpacked snow that you want powder or what's the deal? Yeah. Well, over here on the East coast, it is anything but ice, but, uh, that's pretty <laughs> much what we get. Well, in the Midwest too, they make a lot of snow here. So, yeah. um, so, I mean, I'm, I do like a good powder day. It doesn't hurt when you fall. I'll usually try to throw some bigger tricks when there's fresh snow on the ground, but, uh, I mean, I'll take what I can get. I, I was saying earlier, I went last Sunday and the whole mountain isn't open. There's a lot of grass, but they do have enough to like get you all the way down the mountain. So as an avid boarder, I definitely had to get out there pretty early and, and make use of the uh, the availability because it is still pretty early to to be out there riding. But yeah, that's cool. So, um, so Boston, one of my favorite cities, not just for Fenway, but I like Fennel Hall and, and the North End and all kinds, of, anything I can think of about the pub crawls are awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, but you were, you were a pedicab driver. So you, you pedaled people around, right? Yeah. And I love those things. I take them any chance I get, cause I think you get to see more in there and you guys are, were always like the best tour guides too. That's, that's what I was just about to say is it's, you know, it, it's a fun way to get around and and a lot of the people that are driving really know the city like the back of their hand. So giving you, you know, some of the touristy hotspots on your way to a destination, things yep. that you can come back and check out. And my personal favorite is that a lot of people don't know that Sam Adams is buried in downtown Boston. Or maybe they what? do. Yeah. So there's only one place in the world where you can have a cold Sam Adams across the street from a cold Sam Adams. And that's the Beantown Pub. <laughs> That's awesome. There's your there's your Boston fun fact of the day. And it was funny when uh, when I was my first trip to Boston was because my best friend won. I don't know the people in Chicago remember the Steve and Gary show, uh, Steve Dahl uh, here in Chicago, but they want they were given away. They were going to broadcast for a week uh, in Boston from the Sam Adams Brewery. So that was my first trip because my buddy's wife couldn't make it. So then he's like, you want to go with me? I'm like, oh, yeah. So anyway, here we are. And the show starts at 5 a.m. So here we are at 5 a.m. And we're having a little bit of Sam Adams and being on the air. So that was my first experience. (laughs) So uh, but anyway, uh, love the town uh, for sure. So then have you been there your whole life? Uh, most of my adult life. Anyway, I, uh, I'm kind of young for what was my grade. I moved out here for college when I was 17, um, and haven't left. So it's, it's been a little while now. Um, but originally I'm from upstate New York, North of Utica, if anyone's Uh, familiar with it. Oh yeah. Uh, It's it's out there. It's, I mean, it's not your Poughkeepsie upstate New York. It is, uh, (laughs) like the Adirondack park, upstate New York, pretty far up there. Um, so then, uh, so then how did you get into the, uh, uh, you know, so how did you get into like the tech space? So how did you go from, a, from a, a pedicab driver to the tech space? Um, so went to school for global business and marketing. So I've always had an interest in marketing and when I was finishing up college and when I was pedicabbing, it's, you know, I can't do this forever and this is not why I got a degree. So I actually started working first in uh, digital ad sales for uh, patch.com. So there's oh, a wow. lot of cool. patches around the nation. Yep. You might be familiar with them. So I was working with like the local businesses on getting them kind of up and running with like the advertisements for their local communities. Um, I ended up running into Gaglamp at an event here in Boston that HubSpot was putting on. So it was the sales speaker series 
I ended up meeting the majority of the Gaglam team that night and just really I, I thought advocacy was something that could be pretty easy to get behind, you know, for any organization that's investing in social media, it could be a pretty quick correlation to say, well, why aren't the employees also doing that? You yeah, know, yeah. and being able to help organizations like get better at social marketing and also help the individuals, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to be active on social, but they're held back for A, B or C reasons. And after I had kind of connected the dots that this type of a solution is going to be able to help not only the businesses, but also those end users. Um, for me, it was, you know, something that I could have really gotten behind and I didn't see it going anywhere either, you know, as yeah. an industry, social media, probably here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just for a while. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what's interesting, um, you know, when you and I met and then, you know, I told you that I'd been training in the advocacy space and we're all about employee influencers, you know, that's what we call them. And employee advocates are really um, the people that are fans of the brand. Um, and then also you have then the people that elevate to influencers, which really get showcased to the outside world. Mm. And and one of my early passions uh, and why I was attracted to you guys and the way that you manage this is because you Gaggle Amp has groups of gaggles and we talk about teaming to make a stronger culture. Okay. And I think that in today's world, we've been shouting humanize the brand for going on four or five years now. I've been talking about it, writing about it, speaking about it. And um, when I saw how you guys help manage that, I'm like, I think there's, I know that there's more of this needed because especially, this is one thing I think is brilliant by the millennials. They helped us realize the importance of feeling a brand, first and foremost, the touching, the feeling, the wearables, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. you know, the campaigns that came out, uh, Coca-Cola, I don't know if you know this, Coca-Cola had a machine that you would, in order to get a a free Coke out, you would have to walk up and hug the machine. <laughs> I love Coke. <laughs> I know, you know, and I'm just like, well, you know, that's crazy, but it's cool. And it became viral and they, yeah. I think, put it in a mall or an airport. But I'm like, you know, what if you could hug a brand? What would it take? And it's not about the logo. It's not about the tagline. Those are all things that help sort of, I think, anchor everybody. But I think what's what's cool is when people find the importance of their people and are not afraid to showcase them, are not afraid to to elevate their brand from a fear of loss. Yeah. So can you speak to your attraction of that? And I'm I'm curious from your perspective, your thoughts. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, there's the idea of the influencers. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that every person in an organization who maybe wants to be active on social would want to go all the way to being an influencer. Right. Right. So there's the aspect of the digital brand and how you can put yourself out there. And it was just interesting because the... I lost my train of thought, Dean. Bring me back. It's okay. Well, you know, we're thinking about the the advocates that are inside, and you said not all of them would be influencers, right? Which is true because we're not going to send everybody a hundred percent out to speak at a conference, or maybe we're not going to have them writing their own column or blogs or articles. Um, but then, um, <clears throat> you know, we have now. Uh, but we could have people that really love the brand that really can share things on social media. Right. Okay. And yeah, so what I was thinking is the those people that do want to be stood up as the actual influencers, they need some backing, right? Yeah. It's the it's the age of engagement. So for the people that 
just want to be active, but not necessarily all the way up to the influencers. That's really the fuel for the fire, you know, because your influencers, yes, they can post a blog post, they can share something on LinkedIn with their thoughts. But if, if it's all those other people in the organization that can help to drive the engagement and push that content up, like that's just as important as that individual who's trying to be stood up as the actual influencer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, I think a lot of more people want to be advocates and influencers within an organization. And I think two things stand in the way. One is it could be the mindset of the organization. So I said, you know, a lot of times companies are operating out of fear that if they, you know, help everybody look good in their LinkedIn profiles. And this is one thing that drives us crazy is when you have people working for you and they don't even show that they're working for you online. Like they show one side hustle here and the one side hustle here. And then maybe on LinkedIn, they've got it half right, you know? So now you have this half bake non-humanized brand because everybody's all over the place and it feels disconnected in a digital world. So I think the organizations uh, hold on to the fact that they're like, oh my gosh, if we make them look too good, someone's going to steal them. Well, that's a cultural problem. That's That's a problem for the organization to look at and to overcome that fear. So we love having those conversations, but we're not here to train you to change your mind or change your mindset. We will definitely uh, send you to classes and webinars, or you can pay us to, to learn things. But we want the people that are hungry to activate their people. And, yeah. and, you, and, and maybe you can speak to the success that you see within an organization as you come in. And, and I'm curious, like when you walk in, and you see that first company, you're like, oh, this is going to be a long sales cycle. Or you see the second company and you're like, all right, they want to be, they, they know they have fans of the company. Let's get that digitized. Yeah. And so I've, I've definitely had a lot of conversations where people are coming to us. And, and a part of it is, you know, they have these people internally, but they need a little bit extra uh, spoon, fooding, uh, spe- spoon feeding as well, right? Yeah. So even though that they are, they might be the ones doing the research and coming up with the the new products that the organization's putting out there, but they're not necessarily the social butterflies, right? So yeah, you might be the individual who just came up with this really solid idea, this really solid new product, but you don't necessarily have the chops to actually get it out there. So right. for me, I've had a lot of conversations where you know, we have these internal influencers, if you will, even though they don't have a check mark or they don't have you know ten thousand connections on LinkedIn. We still want to stand them up and get them out there, whether it's in front of their audience or using the right hashtags to get them out in front of other people. Once they get their voice out there and their knowledge, I mean, it speaks for itself. That's, that, that's the beauty of it, right? Is that you are knowledgeable on this topic. So that's in what I was saying earlier is it helps the marketing team, but it also helps the individuals too, because yeah. we can give them some sort of spoon feeding to kind of activate the network initially. So yeah, share the blog post that the company's putting out. Keep sharing. You're going to see how the content's written and how it should be kind of shaped up. You know, what hashtags are they providing to you with this pre-written content that now you can start to use on your own? So when you have an idea or, you know, if, if you have a thought or an opinion on a specific topic, now you can actually go out there and say something on social that prompts a conversation, that enlightens someone else that proves your thought leadership or your expertise. And this is right about the time when people hearing this at work at companies that think they might have a desire to do that, get that feeling in their stomach, like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid. 
you know, because, and, and so that's when we do the coaching and training. But one thing I love about what you do, and then I want to get into the tactics of this, is that you allow us to put our coaching notes in there so that when someone is served up a piece of content, they might be a little bit of afraid, a friendly voice comes in and, and gives them some guided instruction like, this is something that will help you accelerate your thought leadership. Uh, we encourage you to share it with these three hashtags and click here if you don't remember how to do that. <laughs> so, so it's almost foolproof, right? Yeah, there's a lot of education that goes into this. And I've had so many conversations with people that, well, you know, our social policy and our social guidelines aren't really set up for us to roll out an advocacy program. And <laughs> that sounds like bullshit. Well, it, it can be, but also, I mean, think about how a lot of these social policies were written 15 years ago. Oh it's, my God. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't open Facebook on your work. Computer. And most of them were copied from someone else, just so we're all clear. Yeah. And, and one of the things actually that I had learned at the conference last year was there's a lot of don'ts and no's in those social policies as Thank opposed you. to do's and this is how you should. Right. And, and how much more like receptive to that policy would you be as an end user where it's, okay, there's all these don'ts. So now I have the fear of making a mistake. Whereas the fear should probably lie in, well, I, I don't exactly know what I'm doing. So now the social guidelines, these social policies should really be helping the end users like know what to do. Right. Now they're going to be more apt to getting out there on their own anyway. Because I, I mean, it's so much of the, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to get my wrist slapped for saying something on social that the guideline clearly says I shouldn't, but right. there were so many don'ts in there that I just never finished reading it. And I, I just won't do anything at all. Yeah. So I say that, um, you know, and I, I started at Merrill Lynch and wound up uh, working in accounting around banks and things like that. So very compliant driven world. And I was just on a call this morning about this uh, with a big, one of the big wirehouses. And I'm like, the, the challenge you guys have is you've been telling people don't so long that there are, you either have this whole group that are afraid to do anything. So they do nothing and they have to work 10 times harder to generate business for your brand. Or you have the cowboys that are just like out there just making it rock and happen and they're contacting us and go, don't tell anybody, but show me how to do this and this and this. And I'm like, listen, we're going to show you how to do all this in a compliant, friendly way so that you don't get in trouble from the feds or whoever your regulating body is. And, and you can generate business. We call it how to be compliant and competitive. And, and, and I think you're right. I think people need to strip out <clears throat> the don't. She still, ha I mean, think about it. Whenever we're hired. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we're hired, we sign a code of conduct. That's really what the policy is. It's saying, this is how we behave when we go to the bear networking event, or we go to a conference, you know, we're not going to do keg stands and beer bongs. We're going to, we're going to literally have business conversations and represent ourselves well and, and the company well. You know, so in doing that, what are some of the things you see when you're going into organizations that really um, that, that really uh, seem like, you know, some of the most common things that get in the way from people doing this? Definitely depends on the organization, right? Because to your point, some organizations are more highly regulated than others. Right. You know, and there are real input, you know, there, there's issues if someone does something that they should not do. So once you start to get around those, it's a mindset thing for a lot of marketers. I think, you know, there's the, the idea of, you know, I don't want to take off too big of a bite, you know, have more than I can chew. Then there's the other idea of, Oh, well, I don't, I don't think I have enough content. 
And I don't think content's really the issue because again, like we can drive engagement with our advocacy programs and that tends to actually go a, a bit further than, you know, the person on Twitter with 10 followers sharing a link to a new blog post. Yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, for, for us, that's what we've been focusing on a lot here is, you know, where advocacy started was just that. Let's have everyone share the link to the new blog or tweet that we're going to an event. But when you think a bit more strategically about it from a marketing perspective, and you can really align your brand ambassadors, your employee advocates, you know, call them what you want. But when they can actually help you with your broader campaigns in achieving the outcomes you're really looking for, that, I mean that should trump all of the other reasons why you're not doing it. You know, there's, it's the low hanging fruit, really. It's just a function of, well, how do you stand up a program and how do you recruit? You know, how do we train? Those are the things that get in the way. And I mean, frankly, that's why we're here, right? Those are the things that we help with as, as a provider of not only the solution, but you know, we have a customer success team. We help with the training, the onboarding, the recruiting. And for a lot of marketers, I think those are actually the things that kind of get in the way. Right. And one of the, um, one of the craziest things is like back, I would say back in the day when it was a while ago, usually more than five to seven years, we'll say. But in the beginning of social media, that was one of the things we were doing is we're like, all right, let's get everybody to do that. And in order to make it happen, sometimes we had to get everybody in a single room, imagine this advocacy, and get them to now teach them and coach them how to type a post in their own words, and then everybody share it out. But the challenge was everyone's doing it at the same time. So it looks a little spam because it's like, oh my God, it's like, it's like we had the first watch party, watch this blog post go out from 10 people. (laughs) 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 But, but what's cool is your, your platform actually helps space things out and, and deter some of that. So we're not all jumping on at the same time. And I think, you know, the goal is there's this balance between being genuine and, and authentic uh, which which was my original resistance back in 2010 as you guys were coming out with the platform because, uh, you know, you do a great job of scoring and leaderboards and all that thing. And then it gamifies it a little bit. But then I was like, but then I think we lose some level of authenticity. Yeah. And so I was the reactive guy going, no, I'm not going to conform. You know, I'm a systems guy. So it's like me saying I'm going to rebel against the system was just like, you know, being just my street guy head, but I was like, no, we need to coach and train people to be authentic. And yet we wound up in a room with 10 people posting at once. So it didn't work. So authenticity is definitely, uh, it's, it's a hot topic. I definitely talk about that often. And I've heard more in the past to your point where like, Oh, everyone's going to be saying the same thing at the same time. Not exactly. I mean, you have different people that work at different paces. Like when you get a notification, do you jump to it right then and there? Or you're going to circle back around to it when you have a moment. Or are you not going to pay any attention to those notifications and you just know that, oh, I haven't shared anything in a while. So let me go and check in and see what's available for me. Like that helps to create a a good spread window of when the content's actually getting shared. Because again, you might have a couple of people that jump on those notifications immediately, but others end up kind of dripping out organically, really. Yeah. Yeah. So with doing that, what do you see in behavior? And, you know, since you and I represent a good span of generations that we were talking about prior to this call, um, and then uh, I think we all discovered Jackson was Gen Z, you're a millennial. Um, I think Monica's somewhere in between, if she's listening. And then, uh, of course, I represent the upper end of the spectrum. 
uh, <laughs> Gen Y, why are we still talking? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, so now all of a sudden we have, um, you know, we have the, this, and somebody asked me this before they go, well, what do you see? Do you see, uh, millennials being better at this stuff or do you see baby boomers being better at this stuff? So I'm going to ask you that question. I want to hear how you answer that. That's a really good question. I, it's got to be an even split, honestly, because I think there's on the millennial side, not, I'll say not many of us want to kind of blend like the personal and the professional. And that right. definitely happens. I mean, in my case, you know, LinkedIn definitely tends to be professional. Facebook, certainly more personal. Twitter depends on the individual. Like I have a Twitter account that is way more professionally focused. I put in some personal things every now and then. LinkedIn is obviously more professional based and I don't really do much on Facebook other than like and share every now and then. So from the older generations, I think that there's been some hesitation to get into the game, if you will. But at the same time, they've seen kind of a change over the years. So, you know, we, we were joking about the cell phone earlier. Yeah. The, the car phone that's like hardwired in with an antenna switching to a BlackBerry where now you have your email on your phone and you can make phone calls. Not all the, the sales. And, and two apps. And two apps. <laughs> well, not everyone was, was so eager to jump to the, to the mobile device and say right. that I can do more things over here and, and faster. But inevitably, you obviously see everyone out there with cell phones. So I think it's another arrow in the quiver, if you will, where you can't not do email. You can't not make phone calls. And we're going to be getting to a point where you can't not be active on social. Yeah. And, and I, I got to tell you, I get, I, I get so crazed in this. So I sort of want your thoughts on this too, but I, I'm with you on the, I don't think it's based on the generation as much as it is the individual, the yeah. mindset of the individual, just like the mindset of the organization. The challenge I run into is the, the latter description, you know, those of us that are older, many of us are still in decision-making points or run an organization. So I have to sift through, you know, 10 CXOs to get to the CXO that goes, we're going to be that human brand where our people are showcased and they have an opportunity to be their very best in the world. And we're not afraid to show the world who works here. You know, I mean, people are going to find out anyway, just you listening out there, they're going to find out who works there anyway. So the idea might as well make them look the very best and show that you have the very best people. But yet it still takes me so many execs to, to go through before I get to the organization that steps up and go, we care about our culture. We care about our people. Do you see that too? Definitely. Uh, you're on the enterprise side. So it, like we're going into some big companies and I'm like, man, it feels like this is, I mean, I'm stepping into the eighties. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's interesting because I think if you asked all marketers, they would understand that, yes, this is a good idea. This is something we should do, but do they have the backing of the brand? Right. So cold calling for me is, is not extremely effective because especially for an enterprise to just like try to turn on a dime and say, yeah, we want to do employee advocacy now. That doesn't really work. You know, there's, there's planning periods, there's budgeting and all of that is what goes into account for what initiatives they're really pushing for in the coming year. So I've found some seasonality to it where, you know, if I can 
if I can hit the phones around like this time where a lot of companies are doing the budgeting and the planning, I might be able to get a foot in the door there. But I think a lot of the enterprises anyway are typically like on, they're kind of on their own path. Like they're, they're, they see it, they recognize it, they know the brand, they know Gaglam's brand name, but they're not ready to, to act on it yet. So I've found myself working very closely now with marketing to, to say, look, our cold calling isn't extremely effective. So we need to put more emphasis on like the lead capturing and the nurturing of those leads. Because again, these enterprises can't turn on a dime and say, yeah, I want to invest X number of dollars today. If it wasn't planned for four quarters ago, five quarters ago, so like, it, you know, it depends on the organization. You might get lucky. You know, we have a little extra money left over this year. You know, we didn't spend all of it on paid advertising. So, yeah. you know, those are the people that tend to come to us and say, Hey, you know, let's have a pricing conversation and we might be able to move quickly, but for the majority of them, they're, they're, they're pretty slow rolling. So depends on the company. Right. And a lot of times I think, um, you know, things can be leveraged or driven from sales. So a lot of times we get pulled in for the social selling perspective. You know, it's one of our longest running courses out there, but really in our social selling, we're humanizing the brand from that department in when we're working to do this. Uh, what's, what's interesting about that is I still think a lot of people, um, when they're selling in social, we find that they're still in that power drive, I'm a salesperson mode, and that you can smell them coming into the to the inbox, you know, uh, or in mail a mile mails, away, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's like, let me contact you and show you how my product can help your company. And I'm just like, really? This is how we're going to start? First of all, I'm a competitor. Do you even look at my website? So I think we're in this world where people have these dangerous weapons and they're really hurting the brands out there that are the old style. And they probably have a, a person my age running and driving that sales force at the top going, pound the phones. If we get 10,000 messages out, we'll get a customer. So it's like they have this whole theory. And I'm just like, but you guys are blasting people and damaging the brand rather than providing thought leadership and value and then inviting them in or allowing them to select you. I mean, you see the same thing out there? Yeah. Um, it. Personally, I do. I, you know, when it, when it comes to social selling, everyone knows, I think at this point, what not to do, but you kind of need to do that, you know, when you've got a quota and you need to hit X number of activities or you got, you know, you got a dollar amount, you got to hit. I think social selling has kind of been branded, um, off branded because it's, you know, I don't really have people coming to me over LinkedIn and asking to actually buy Gaglam, you know? it's not that easy of a transaction. So the whole idea of social selling, you know, like I said, I think it's got a bad brand name because if we changed it just to, you know, building relationships and providing value via social, not asking people for demos, they know who to turn to when the time is right for them. And that's, you know, that, that leads back to my last point where I can call all day, but if the, you know, the individual in marketing hasn't got it in the budget, then she can't make it happen. They can't make it happen to what end. So I'm better off now providing continuous value over a longer period of time. So when they have that conversation internally, they say, Oh yeah, Dina Gaglamp has been dripping me, you know, blog posts and updates about the industry and new reports. And they're probably someone that we should look to talk to about this. Right. Cause you're a thought leader. 
So, so I just, for curiosity, I pulled up the definition for social selling. So here it is, people. Social selling is the process of developing relationships as part of the sales process. (laughs) Developing relationships as part. Examples of social selling techniques include sharing relevant content, interacting directly with potential buyers and customers, personal branding, storytelling, and social listening. Listening. Remember, you listen to people. (laughs) Pay attention. Make them feel heard, for God's sakes. <laughs> One of I, I, I love using this example when I'm demoing our product. So one of the actions that we have is that you can pull like a question from Quora and right. put it in front of your salespeople to go and answer the question. So, you know, as a as your average sales guy, I'm not running as a listening or a monitoring tool to find the app mentions or the hashtags that people, but my marketing team is. So if they can find content, and especially on Quora, where you've got an average Joe asking a question to the world, your ambassadors, your advocates could be the one to go and answer that question. So A, it's inevitably going to drive them back to the brand because you'd see who they're working for. But furthermore, it really helps them to establish that thought leadership and expertise. Right. And it's genuinely answering someone's question. So you can do that on LinkedIn too, but I think that Quora is, you know, kind of an up and comer. People aren't asking questions like they are on LinkedIn, like they are on Quora. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's a, that's an actually an excellent point. So uh, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes for sure. Um, though the one thing I'm thinking about is what I, another th- part I liked about your system is that if I think there is something relevant and shareable on Forbes or it doesn't matter, and that's what I mean, there's a lot of good content out there. Almost too much. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, we could as consumers of content and being part of the brand and advocates every single day have a, have a cool place to collect what's relevant for, for me to be a thought leader on behalf of the organization, but then also share it with people that are part of my gaggle or my team, right? Yeah. So that's definitely something that I am always suggesting when it does have a more social selling like focus. Um, you know, I can see something on LinkedIn where someone has asked a question or, you know, they've, they've posted a blog about A, B, or C. If that is an opportunity for me or my customer success managers or even Glenn, the CEO, to, to go and drop some thought leadership, I take the link to that post. I send it off to the gaggle manager here and I say, hey, here's a new piece of content that uh, you know, Glenn might be able to comment on or the customer success team would be able to comment on because someone out there is asking what onboarding is like for, right. for an advocacy program. And again, you know, we're not the ones that are doing the listening and the monitoring, but if I stumble upon something and I want to put it out there in front of other people, we can get those set up as various actions or to your point, like the Forbes articles, right? Talk about thought leadership when you're the one to, you know, put that new article out there in front of your connections. Cause is everyone following Forbes? Probably not. So you see that you can drop it in there, get it in front of your teammates, start an internal conversation, perhaps. And then, you know, you might be able to pull together a couple of quotes from that conversation and then share that externally. So here, you know, we want to talk about building up our thought leaders, have that internal conversation, grab the quote, post that onto the company's LinkedIn page where our very own and at mention them, quote it, post the link to the Forbes article. Right. Sounds too easy, doesn't it? It rolled right off the tongue. (laughs) 
Well, I'm just saying like, you know, isn't it funny though? You know, like when I'm, I do give a lot of talks at universities and things like that. And it's like, um, there's entrepreneurs in there and, and you know, it's the same old thing. I'm like, how many people are in sales? Um, and then, you know, half the people raise their hand and I'm like, well, really we're all in sales, you know, just so we're clear. And, 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 and on behalf of the brand, I don't care if you're, what department you're in, you're building relationships on behalf of the brand. Mm-hmm. So, so as we're doing this, tell me a little bit about how, you know, your experience, you know, both with the product and maybe around the product that you're helping people build those relationships. Cause I think we need more effective, efficient tools to make us, uh, to make us better at building relationships. Number one, number two, make it a little bit easier. Yeah. So a lot of the social selling that I'm doing, and it's funny because I did post something about this earlier about automation, just in general and kind of where we're at in that regard. But how can anyone do their job without some form of automation? Right. So I think I have a lot of content that gets scheduled to be shared. But personally, I'm making sure that I'm looking at my prospects pages and what what type of stuff can I interact with? So being able to interact with the things that they're sharing is kind of the first step. And then thinking, I'm trying to get back to your, to how I'm actually helping the, the individuals. So I think it's more of the training wheels aspects, right? Yeah. So when it's automated, when it's provided, when it's spoon fed to you, those are the, what you should be learning from again, you know, how, how is this post written to be shared on LinkedIn versus how might the company want to say it to be said on Twitter? Once the end users start to understand like those little differences, then they can essentially do it on their own. Yeah. We had, uh, we have one activity that allows the managers to give a bit of a foundation for a message. So yeah, that's super cool. That's super cool. If it's about an event, you can provide the image, the hashtag and the link that you want them to share. But what you're actually putting in front of them is a question. So very basic. Why are you excited about the event? They answer that question. Everything else gets appended for them, the hashtag, the link, and the image. So that I think is not necessarily an activity for everyone because if you think about the social rock stars that are active today and that engage with the organization, those are the types of people that would take to that type of activity. But you know, the, the laggards, if you will, they might not feel comfortable enough to do that. So you got to kind of segment out the different people that you know are going to be a bit more active versus the laggards. And then one of the things I was mentioning earlier, I think was if you get your thought leaders or the rock stars, if you will, to answer that question and and share a tweet or share their thoughts on LinkedIn, you want to take everyone else and drive engagement to those posts, the likes, the comments, the retweets, pushes up the newsfeed. It helps to drive that additional engagement. And furthermore, once your content takes off like that, that's part of where you're, influencer status comes from, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, so give us a, a, just a couple of snippets. It's always, time always goes so fast when we're talking about this stuff. Um, give us a couple of snippets of what you see uh, inside some of the more successful uh, implementations of employee advocacy, just so we can set a vision for the folks out here that say, you know, um, you know, I could see us doing that in 2020, you know? And so we want to get a little bit of, um, showcase uh, of maybe one or two examples where you're like, these people really nailed it. And this is what we can learn from them. Yeah. 
Um, I would go back to the cycle I did with a company called TransUnion. You may have heard of them. Um, very highly regulated. So oh, for yeah. them, we had a ton of hurdles that we had needed to get over initially, you know, compliance and legal and all of that. Um, but they've done a really good job, I think, with some segmenting of the program as well. So you can look at segmenting a lot of different ways from, are you in sales and you're getting salesy content? Are you in North America versus EMEA? Are you an executive versus anyone else in the organization who might want to say that message just a little bit differently? So really kind of tearing things apart from, well, it's the advocacy program. We have everyone share our blog posts to, okay, well, we can have everyone share the blog posts, but how might we want these individuals to do it a little bit differently than these individuals? Getting more methodical with the strategy behind the programs is huge. And that's really the next piece is, you know, it's, it's pretty old school at this point to think like only sharing content is what makes up your advocacy program. And especially with the actions that, that Gagland provides, you get to think way more strategically about the larger campaigns that you're doing from a, a broader marketing perspective. Right. How do you really anchor what you can do with all of these advocates to your specific campaigns? And I was talking to the CEO here and he's like, you should start thinking more about the outcomes of the campaigns that the clients are trying to think they're trying to achieve. And then how would you kind of position you know, what share you set up or what like activity or what retweet or what comment you put in there based more on the outcome of that campaign. Right. Well, that was, uh, I actually taught that in the workshop in New York uh, at SMSS and uh, I had, you know, a packed room, but when I got into the the challenges of, uh, you know, advocacy deployment or the influencer deployment piece, I'm like, well, let's get let's get the CFO involved. Let's get all the champions involved that are counting the coins and the the shekels and things like that because we want to draw a dotted line to our effect of not just our area or engagement, but how are we impacting the organization at all levels, including you know uh, sales, right? Well, and that's that's an interesting thought around the CFOs, and I don't like to count anyone out when it comes to recruiting and, and getting bought into a program because. Even though you think about your engineers or your developers or, or the CFO or anyone in procurement, perhaps like, yep, they're not always your social rock stars, but don't count them out of the program because the type of content they are keen to share is the company accomplishments, the job postings, the we just won, you know, the, the best company to work for in 2017. And again, broaden your horizons a little bit for what your outcomes are with the advocacy program because brand awareness is huge. Employer brand is huge. Talent acquisition, they run different campaigns on social and yeah, you, you can kind of, I mean, you can grow your program. It, it, there's obviously a direct correlation to how many people do you have in your advocacy program and what does your ROI look like? Absolutely. In fact, I was just talking to somebody on behalf of both of us the other day, because we say that when we go in to humanize the brand and, and when we're doing our training and we help build and connect these networks and the people and, and get those champions elevated and looking good and active and then, you know, using a gaggle lamp, uh, you know, it gets into a, a, a spirit of, well, we're not just helping the brand look good. We're actually humanizing to an effect where we make recruiting a much easier function. And there's a whole industry that many people listening might not know about. It's called social recruiting. They have conferences. Actually, the same people that uh, GSMI that do conferences have two social recruiting conferences. 
And there's teams of people that come in from big companies wearing jackets that they're a social recruiting team. And everyone I've interviewed and talked to is basically like doing advocacy so they can have access to that network to get people to stay, to build a stronger culture and to create a recruiting engine. So it's, it's, it has a great net effect. Yeah. And recruiting is a big one. And I'm always, you know, to think about the marketers who maybe don't have all the budget in the world. Have you considered talking to HR about this? Because, hey, they're probably going to be really good for helping with recruiting and, you know, member maintenance. When someone leaves an organization, that HR knows that. They can help yep. you, you know, keep your gaggle lean with actual employees as opposed to people who have left the company. But furthermore, there's the whole idea of the employer brand. Yes. Right. And that is that that usually lives within HR. Sometimes it's a crossover with marketing or communications, but that like I've had a lot of conversations in the past eight to ten months around employer brand where that's right. that's the main driver. So now, you know, I've kind of flipped my script a little bit to say, okay, well, you're an employer brand, talent acquisition and in, in HR. Have you considered talking to marketing about this? Because the one lane you're thinking is only one lane in the five lane highway, you know? Right. Yeah. Cool stuff, man. And I just want to give a shout out. I saw Jennifer Janowski on here. She, uh, uh, she went through our uh, social selling program and actually became a speaker at SMSS. Um, I want to say either in Chicago or um, maybe Anaheim, but, uh, but the idea was, you know, that, that she was such a champion of the brand and a rally uh, person of the brand that helped, um, put them on the map. I mean, when she activated her people just in a, in a small, even a small way, but we helped them get access to the content. This was even without true automation. Um, we, all of a sudden we just saw an elevation of, of the, the brand and the people and the energy and the excitement of people realizing that they mattered. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want to give a shout out cause she's, she's definitely a great example of the champions that you need on the inside to be part of that. And again, it doesn't matter. Sometimes they don't always have to be in marketing. They don't always have to be in those, those sort of public facing departments. You could have customer service in play, HR in play. So I don't want you to think about leaving anybody out. In fact, on our sort of team building sheet, we have you specifically seek out someone in all departments. Mm. So it's a collective effort. Yeah. So, um, so with that being said, Dean, how do, um, what's the best way for people to connect with you on social? What are you going to be most responsive on or, uh, where should we uh, connect with you? Yes. So LinkedIn's going to be the big one. I would follow that up with either Instagram or Facebook. So Dean Agan on LinkedIn, uh, Dean Agan also on Twitter. Um, and then for the more personal handles, Deansy, D-E-A-N-Z-Y-Y. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this. So uh, you said that um, LinkedIn, you're uh, primarily business. Do you get that personal side of you in there too? I do. And okay, good. Because we coach on that. And I was like, I was like, I haven't seen any snowboarding shots or anything like that. And maybe I'm just now that I know that about you, I'm like, I would, I would think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So my, my Facebook profile picture is me snowboarding. Right. Um, I've been doing more like personal on LinkedIn, but like my thoughts and feelings about what I do. So I literally just started this little series. I call it Dean's three cents and I'm, <laughs> I'm just reviewing a blog post. And right now I'm just, I, I mean, literally posted video number two today. Um, but right now it's just gag lamp blog posts. And I'm, I'm definitely planning on like finding 
third-party content to kind of review and just honestly give my thoughts about it. Um, so the first one I did was about authentic engagement, authenticity. And then the one I just did today was about the Twitter bot hunt. So, you know, in this industry, you know, there's, there's people out there that use Gagline pretty much automated almost entirely. And Twitter's kind of... Twitter's not only catching on to what we're doing. Obviously, this is a pretty widespread issue as they're right. picking up on it. And I'm sure you've heard about the whole election meddling. And like that's one of the things I talk about is there's good bots and there's bad bots. So, yeah. well, back to your point. I'm doing more personal stuff on LinkedIn, not me riding my snowboard or riding my bike, but my own personal thoughts and feelings kind of about the industry and that's uh, cool. different things that are coming up over there. Yeah, which create that uniqueness for you. So uh, just a, a cheap plug, you know, we have plenty of blog posts at Social Jack and Dean Delisle. So if you uh, feel the urge of looking for content, we'd love to get I'm your feedback. For sure. <laughs> it's all about partnerships and collaboration, right? Um, and I see, uh, actually, uh, you know, so I just want to thank those that are in the audience today with our live audience and those of those that listen uh, you know, uh, to the podcast afterwards. So we really appreciate uh, all of you in this. And then, uh, Dean, so uh, if people want to come to the website and request a demo or chat with you, like I was doing on the chat yeah. you know, chat window. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm one of the chat participants. So when you go to Gaglamp and the bot pops up and says, how can we help? Uh, drop a couple things in there. I'll probably be one of the ones to answer it. Um, my so if I go, hey, Dean, I saw you on the show uh, on Influence Factory. Could you answer this? You would actually get that. Note. Absolutely. And if if I'm not there, I'm in a meeting. Someone else will pick it up. If not, there's you know, a little answering system in there. Drop your email and I'll definitely circle back around with you. Or even feel free just to shoot me an email. Um, I get all the messages that go to sales at gaglamp.com. So that one's pretty easy to remember. Um, for my address, it's D-A-G-E-N at gaglamp.com. Yeah. So, uh, so that's awesome. And you're highly responsive and I, I appreciate you when I need, you know, I'm always pulling together talks and, and webinars and things like that. And so uh, you're a great uh, group to collaborate with. We love being a partner of you guys. It's a sort of a new venture together for us, but we love the fact that everything that we practice and teach, you have coaching elements, you have teaming elements, you have ways to, to collect people and help group and score those teams. Uh, so we appreciate everything you have out there. And, and um, you know, the, the long-term uh, phrase from my world was you can't get fired for, uh, you know, hiring IBM. I say you can't get fired from going with Gagalamp because you were the first. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Elevate. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was talking to I was talking to uh, I uh, LinkedIn and I'm like yeah you know we use a gaggle lamp and they're like yeah yeah that's okay you know we got some yeah. other stuff I go but I use Navigator so I, you got me there it, it's funny because I have people ask me like well who are your competitors I'm like have you ever heard of LinkedIn <laughs> yeah. right which is funny because you're helping LinkedIn while you you know deploy well, your yeah. product so. Yep. Well, listen, man, thank you for uh, always for being there and uh, and uh, shout out to Glenn. He's always great. And Michelle, she's great. The whole team over there is great. So thank you again. And then we look forward to great things in 2020 together. And again, if you guys have questions for either one of us on advocacy or building influence within the organization or humanizing the brand, Dean and Dean would be happy to help you out. So, <laughs> so Dean, from all of us here at Social Jack headquarters uh, to all of you out there in uh, Boston, Mass, uh, 
Uh, thank you so much for being a great partner and thank you for uh, helping us learn more on today's program. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. All right, man. We'll see you soon. Take care. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.